0: Bible. There's one located in front of you in the pew. We'd love for you to join us in the copy of God's Word. We're grateful for it. And God has given us His Word in this form, so we'd love for you to join us. Philippians chapter number four, and you'll see the title of the message is a recipe for a long, for a year long habit of Thanksgiving. And uh, not that you get to eat every day like you did on Thanksgiving, but. Uh, spiritually the attitude and spirit of thanksgiving and so uh, boy this holiday has become uh, has come to represent many things and certainly uh, from pilgrims onward the idea of giving thanks to God for many things Here, unfortunately, on the the route that our society has gone, it has become to represent shopping, hasn't it? And, uh, and getting things and beginning the Christmas season, it seems to be creeping in on the actual day of Thanksgiving more and more, huh? And uh, as we think about that, I don't know if you participated in Black Friday or Black Thursday now or whatever and Brews Saturday. Anyway, whatever. Uh, I don't know. I always find it somehow interesting that Black Friday, and as we might term it, Black Thursday, follows Thankful Thursday. Isn't that kind of fun again when we think of it? It comes right after Thanksgiving and the day of giving thanks. We understand that. But boy, can't Black Friday take away your thankful heart? If you were out in those places, and boy, you know, even now hearing of shootings and other things and people getting trampled and things. And my goodness, I was talking to Lori Stevens back earlier this week, and and she was having to work at Walmart and everything else. And she was talking about one of the first times she was there uh, at Walmart as they prepared, and she was noticing that the managers would unlock the door and jump on top of something as people come rushing in. And, you know, not to get trampled because we've seen that happen and so forth. It's one of the most ironic aspects about the holidays people finish giving thanks on Thursday for the things that God has given them or whatever whoever they give thanks to then they go out to show holiday spirit by buying gifts for others and then we see the most barbaric behavior we've ever seen all year round mean shoving pushing hitting you talk about it it's there what we would say is unkind displays of human behavior probably worse we've seen all year around and when is it? Thanksgiving. Right before Christmas. Catch the holiday spirit. Amen. <laughs> and shoving some of the Yankees. I heard somebody getting a fight over an iPad. And all. I mean, you just it's crazy, isn't it? Now, think about it. We as Christians, though, uh, that's the craziness of the world. And if you were out on Black Friday, God bless you. Okay, I'm glad you survived. But we as Christians, what are we called to? Well, we are called to have a thankful spirit all year round, no matter what. It doesn't matter what a day may bring. You and I are supposed to make it a day of giving thanks uh, to God. In fact, uh, the Bible describes it in what is our manual for living. The the Bible tells you and I um, that it really is supposed to be part of our new nature. The new life that you and I have been given in Jesus Christ. You know, there are things that we do time and time again that uh, become very habitual for us. We would say they've become second nature to us. Do you, do you have some things like that, that that you do? And maybe your spouse notices it, but you've done it for so long that you, it's just second nature. H- have you ever done this? And I, unfortunately, have this experience. Have you been ever driving down the road? And then all of a sudden you realize, wait a second, I just went through that stoplight. Wait, I don't. Wait, I don't remember turning. I don't remember stopping. <laughs> the reality is, you and I can drive by second nature. In other words, we can be doing that, and then past a stop sign or past a, a stop light, we we all of a sudden come to our senses. Our minds were probably on something else, and we come to realize that. Wow, I came to complete. I could do this in my sleep. No, don't do that. Okay, you can't drive in your sleep. Don't try that. Okay, but but we come to the second nature thing where where boy, it just we just do it by habit by second nature. Hey, Christian, do you realize that God wants you to be that kind of person that gives thanks second nature? All the time. In everything, the Bible says. Give thanks in everything. It doesn't matter the situation, the circumstances you find yourself in, what you face today, what you face tomorrow, uh, the tests coming up, the, uh, the disappointments, the discouragement. You and I, as children of God, are called to give thanks habitually. To have a constant, continual habit of prayer. In fact, Paul lists three imperatives, statements. Three things that he challenges you and I about concerning giving thanks, having an attitude of thanksgiving, a spirit of uh, what we might say finding joy in every situation. In fact, the book of Philippians, many have called it the book of joy for the Christian. In fact, they say it's the blueprint for joy for a Christian. Look at Philippians chapter 4. Look at verse 4 with me, a familiar verse but think on it for a moment, if you will, with me. Philippians 4.4. 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Repetitive, redundant, and yet emphasizing this simple truth that you and I are to rejoice. This morning I'd like for you and I to see that Paul wants us to, more importantly, God encourages us to rejoice as the righteous. Rejoice as the righteous. Now, think of it. It's a straightforward command here. It, it is a command to rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. What is rejoice? Well, simple definition. Forgive it for the layman's simplicity. But the reality is this find joy. Find joy. Rejoice, find joy today, find joy tomorrow, find joy in the next moment, find joy in the hour to come, find joy. But there is a catch to the command. There is a prerequisite, as we might say. If you're going to rejoice always, if you're going to rejoice again, if you're going to continue to rejoice in everyday circumstances, in everything you face, the Bible says there has to be something there to rejoice in. Now listen to me. It is hard to rejoice in the Lord when you don't know the Lord, eh? He says rejoice, not just rejoice. Don't just find joy in life because you and I know a lot about life and life naturally does not bring joy. But I'll tell you who does bring joy, the Lord. So you and I are commanded to rejoice in the Lord always and that demands something. The prerequisite or the qualifying element here is that you and I have a relationship with the Lord. He is speaking of this. In fact, he just speaks about it in the verses prior. Paul is saying that you and I have experienced the righteousness that Christ alone offers in his sacrifice upon the cross of Calvary. You know, you and I have much to rejoice in because we have been given the free gift of eternal life in heaven. As beautiful as today is with the sunshine and, boy, uh, the beautiful landscape of the thumb of Michigan, I think it's one of the most beautiful places in all the U.S., personally. But with the beauty surrounds us, can I tell you, it does not compare to heaven. And today, if you know Jesus Christ, you can rejoice in that one day heaven's going to be your home. Uh, we further understand what Paul's saying. He's saying your, your future, your eternity has been irrevocably altered in you And it's definitely for the better. I was once lost. You were once lost. We were destined to experience the fire and darkness of hell forever. But by the grace of God, you and I have been found. We have been given eternal life with God in salvation from hell. Furthermore, our name is written in the book of life. And nothing can blot it out. He says that. Look, just a verse earlier. Notice it. He, he is speaking in context. And with other of my fellow laborers, the end of verse one, 3, whose names are in the book of life. And then he says what? Rejoice. Find joy that your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. It is there. Um, and it should never be far from our minds and our hearts. How can I rejoice in this circumstance, this happening, this problem? because you can rejoice in the Lord no matter what you face no matter how you feel no matter what's on the horizon can I put it this way let's remind ourselves something we sometimes lose sight of it is the greatest source of joy that a man can know what is that to have been given the free gift of salvation you can't pick that up on Black Friday but you can pick it up at the cross of Calvary where Jesus Christ died for you and I Hey, my friend, can I tell you, the greatest source of joy is knowing Jesus Christ. You have been redeemed, that you are among the righteous. We stand in God's Christ's righteousness. And then you and I are supposed to have joy when? Always, 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 if we might put it in our uh, common English. Daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, minute by minute, second by second. Joy is to be a constant resident of our soul and our heart which necessitates. Now, if that's the case, if I'm going to rejoice in the Lord always, in other words, all the time, then it necessitates, it requires that the contemplation, the consideration of my salvation, my redemption, always be present. In other words, it be not far from my mind. I am daily reminded and daily thinking upon that I have been redeemed. Heaven is my future home, I'm saved. My name is written down there in heaven. Every day we're called to find our joy in the Lord. Nothing else provides for the ability for you and I to rejoice in it always. Why? Because get get this, God doesn't change. Your salvation cannot be taken away. It is always present. It will always be once you've come to put your faith and trust in Christ. And so therefore, you and I can rejoice in the Lord always. You know, we, we always heard the common terminology is two things in life that are guaranteed, death and taxes. Well, you know, I don't know about that. With each new coming administration, who knows, right? Hey, death? Well, I don't know. There's a couple guys in the world you could say that never face death. But I'll tell you, there's one thing that never changes, that's God. And there's one thing that can never be taken away from you, that's your salvation. That's guaranteed. That, that's God's word. So therefore, if that is true, if those are the only unchanging things, the only guaranteed things, can I tell you, that's the best place for you and I to find joy. Because it's never changing. Never taken away. So we find our joy in the, the Lord. Nehemiah uh, records this for us. Nehemiah 8.10. And so it ought to be for us every day. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. You want to get through a difficulty tomorrow? You have to head back to work, and you know there's a situation, there's a problem you have to face. Hey, the joy of the Lord is your strength. You have a difficult doctor's appointment this week. You have some situation going on with another person. You have some bills that you don't know how they're going to be met. Can I tell you, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And that joy it will never falter. It will never fail to be there. David lost his joy. You remember that? David lost it. He, he forgot. He lost the thought of his salvation and redemption in a moment of sin, and he yearned to have it back. He expressed, we know it, Psalm 51, 12, Restore unto me, notice this, the joy of thy salvation. Thy salvation. It is a joy that transcends earth. The trivialness of all that transpires here. Now listen to me. Hey, friend, listen to me carefully. The sorrow found in the greatest disaster or tragedy here on earth does not even come close to challenging the greatness of the redemption that is our salvation. So you name the worst thing that could happen to you this week. The greatest tragedy that that could come to your ears that you face this week. Can I tell you that sorrow it might bring with it does not compare to the joy of your salvation. Because things here on earth, they will come and go. They will not last. But praise be to God, your salvation is forever. So hence it is the greatest source of our joy. There's no comparison, and therefore there is no event, no trial, no tragedy that could, that should, steal the joy of a Christian. When your redemption is in your constant thoughts. See, the moment you and I stop reminding ourselves, wait a minute, as I am here today, as I am living and breathing, praise be to God, my name is written down in the book of life. I'm a child of the king. I have a lot to find joy in. The moment we forget that, the moment we stop thinking about that on a daily basis or maybe even from day to day is the moment we can lose our joy. What you face this week can steal your joy. Those circumstances, the bad news, whatever the case may be, uh, just how someone else treats you, that can steal your joy. The moment you and I forget, wait a second, my joy does not rest upon circumstances. My joy rests upon the Lord. Because the Bible says rejoice in your circumstances. Oh, no. The Bible says rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice always. That's the command. So you and I can truly rejoice always and again rejoice. Hey, there's another ingredient. Paul says this Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice like the righteous because you are found in Christ. But number two, notice what he says this. He says, Don't worry like the wicked. Look at verse number, uh, let's go to verse number six, okay? Verse number six. It says, Be careful for nothing. We'll leave it there. Be careful for nothing. You know what the Bible tells us? Paul does. Don't worry like the wicked. Hey, be done with worry. Stop worrying like the wicked. Rather, rejoice like the righteous. Now think of this. Let's let's be biblical this morning as we like to do. The wicked have a lot to worry about. Those who don't know God, those who don't know Jesus Christ, honestly have a lot to be worried about. Judgment is coming. Their life and all they spend it on are vanity and empty we know the bible says that the wicked will reap what they sow and the day is coming when it will be too late for them to accept the very free gift of salvation that day's coming it'll be too late all these things god has promised in his word they they are born out in scriptures and what does the bible say about god and his word he is not slack concerning his promises All these things that he says to mankind, to the wicked, will come true. And so I'll tell you this morning, the wicked should worry. Every person who doesn't know Christ, they better worry. We saw this verse on Wednesday. Boy, it stuck out to me. Psalm 146, verse 9, we read it. But the way of the wicked, he turneth upside down. The way of the wicked, God's going to turn upside down think they're doing great, uh, they have a lot to worry about. He's promised this and many other things. We can scour the Scriptures and find many warnings to the wicked. Can I put it this way? The wicked should feel their sins and the consequences of burden of their sin closing in around them. The wicked should fear the future. Those who don't know Jesus Christ should fear the reaping season that doubtless will come. I'll tell you this, worry ought to be the constant companion of the wicked. It ought to be the thing that haunts their every step. It haunts their darkest hours of the night and the brightest days of their life. Worry should hound their footsteps, never letting them have a moment of peace. And so it does. We need not look at just the scriptures, but we can look around us in the world at large. And we can see there are many people who don't know Jesus Christ. Here the term is used as the wicked. They have no relationship with Christ. They've never put their faith and trust in Him. And what has happened to them? Well, they don't have peace. They are full of worry. And so it drives them. We see and find so many people. They find something that this world offers them to numb their senses, deaden the thoughts of their mind, and it's a short-lived escape from the dreadful, worry-filled reality of their life as they have rejected God and they attempt to live apart from Him. You know, you need not for me to go into details, but we know the world has succumbed. The world has been beguiled by drink, drugs, and other things to numb one's mind. Uh, uh, To get distracted from what life is, because why? Life for the wicked is worrisome. It is short. It is even but a vapor. We studied that last Sunday. The reality is they have much to worry about, and the wicked should worry. But, oh, my friend, praise be to God. You and I are not numbered among the wicked. We are numbered among the righteous. In Jesus Christ, because we put our faith and trust in him. David understood it. He said this in Psalm chapter 27, verse 1 The Lord is my light, and what is he? He is my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You know what Paul's saying to you and I? Because sometimes we are not thankful. We don't get in a habit of thankfulness. You know why? Because we worry. We worry over this. We worry over that. We we are so caught up in fretting and fuming. And and we get so caught up. And yet God never intended that for the Christian. You and I are supposed to be giving of thanks. Not having worry. Worrisome. We are not to fret because life is in his hands. But boy, the devil doesn't like that. Because when heaven says be thankful, you know what hell says? Do worry. Don't think about what you've already been given. Think about what you don't have. Don't don't be thankful for what's already taken place. Get worried over what you don't know what's going to happen. How things are going to fall out about tomorrow. Worry is the devil's response to being thankful for what you have and where you are. Christian, don't allow your circumstances you find yourself in to to worry you. Remind yourself that you know and you talk with the one who has allowed these things in your life and may have purposely brought them into your life for your good to grow you in his glory. Don't allow the threats of this world to worry you. Hey, our God has overcome this world. And we are overcomers through him. So don't worry about anything. Christ said it, you know it well, forgive the small print, But therefore, Matthew 6, therefore take no thought. Now listen, what is he saying? Is he saying don't think about? No, not at all. We, we've seen this passage before, we studied it. He's saying don't worry about it. Because these are questions of worry. Take no thought saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? Now, notice this, for after all these things do the Gentiles seek. Literally, they worry about it. They are so consumed with worry, not only of their future, but of these things. He says, don't do that, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye, Christian, believer, standing and righteous, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Hey, don't miss it this morning. Paul is encouraging us to follow the simple rule of not worrying like the wicked, but rejoice like the righteous. And when you do that, when I do that, we'll find ourselves, our heart, in the perfect uh, or ready and prepared to always give thanks. Think of it this way. Notice the statement. The thankful heart is then, as we are thankful, as we do these things and we rejoice as the righteous, we we don't worry. we, we, We put aside worry. The thankful heart is in a perfect position to experience what Christ has promised. And what is that? This is a great truth. God has promised us relief from the burden of worry. Now let me ask you this. If we were able today to, to look at your life and we were to examine the burdens, yes, spiritual and others that are on your back, the burdens that weigh you down, could I tell you this simple truth that the Scriptures tell us? Often, Some of our burdens are self-imposed. We go around, and as Christians, we are burdened down. We have a load of care. We have a load of concern, and we have other burdens that, that, yes, many come because they're right for us to have burdens. We're going to have burdens in life. We understand that. But some of them we put on ourselves. Do you realize that God never intended you to have the burden of worry? And let's be honest, some of us as Christians, that's all we do. Day in, day out, we worry. And we are burdened down and it keeps us. Some of us have bad health because all we do is worry. And you know, life didn't put that worry there. Oh, but Pastor Henry, you don't know what I'm facing, my circumstances. It doesn't matter. God never intended you to take your own worry on yourself. He intended you to take his rest and his relief. But too often, you and I, we grab our worry and our burden and our circumstances. We'll throw it on here and it is all self-imposed. My friend, I don't know about you, but the burdens that we really do have to carry are enough. (laughs) I don't need the burden of worry. And so there's our God. He has promised us. He's called all of us, not just in salvation, but in living. He says this, Come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy, laden, burdened, and I will give you Rest. Aren't you thankful this morning that you don't have to worry about hell? Okay, apparently you're asleep because that was a good time to say amen. <laughs> Come on, Christian. Aren't you thankful today you don't have to worry about hell? Amen. Okay, thank you for joining us. Listen to me. It'd be silly, wouldn't it? It'd be silly if I went up to Brother Aaron and I said, "Hey, Brother Aaron." How are you doing? It? Well, Pastor, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm okay, but man, I sure am worried. Oh wait, hey, Aaron, what are you worried about, man? First snow, driving it. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> no. What are you worried about? You know, what, what is it? Well, yeah, you know, Pastor, I'm just, I'm just really worried about hell. Now, now Brother Aaron, I, <laughs> I, I know I read your resume. We talked about this. You're saved. You're trusted in Christ. Why are you worried about hell? Well, I'm just, there's a place called, huh? there is a place called hell. Yeah, well, those, those who haven't trusted Christ, they're going to hell. And I know what hell's described like. And it's a, a place of burning fire. It's darkness. And boy, it's just a terrible place. It's a separate God. Yeah, you're right, Brother Aaron. You're right. That's true. But why are you worried about it? I'm just, I'm just worried about it. But, but Brother Aaron, you've been saved. You don't have to worry about something you've been saved from. Now, we look at Brother Aaron and say, well, Brother Aaron, you don't have to worry You're saved. Hey, Christian, listen to me. Listen to me. Your circumstances are not in your control. They're in God's. And they're in the best hands they could ever be in. And you don't have to worry about it. It's silly for you and I to worry about things and to be concerned and be caught up and to care for nothing or anything. Why? Because God says, don't worry. I'll take care of it. Trust me. You just rejoice. The wicked have a lot to worry about because, can I tell you, they bear the burden of hell. They bear the burden of reaping what they've sown. They bear the burden of of the sin consequences coming upon them. So they bear their burden. But you and I, it is not so. Worry versus rest, and Christ has not promised worry. What did he say? I will give you rest. There's one other statement we see before us here. Notice it. How does that rest delivered unto us? Notice it. He says this, verse 6, the rest of it. Be careful for nothing. Be careful for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. We would put it this way. Number three. So we're seeing that Paul is bringing these things. Rejoice as the righteous. Don't worry like the wicked. Then number three, be a saint of supplication. Be a saint, a child of God, who prays. A saint of supplication. Instead of worrying, talk to him about it. Instead of bearing your own burdens yourself, give them to God. Exchange them to God for the rest that he has promised. It is amazing. Now listen to me. It's amazing when we talk about some things with other people, fellow humans, that we often feel better. Well, let me ask you this. How much better should we feel when we talk something over with the one who can do the most about it yeah, I, I like talking to people i, I like sharing my heart yeah. yet we can talk to god we can ask of him we can thank him for all things there's a simple equation notice it the days you spend very little time in prayer are the days that you are least thankful a lot of truth to that we might want to stand there i don't know about that reality is it's true because in prayer, guess what? It, it does develop a thankful heart. As we come and talk to God, and as we see Him for who He is, his, we understand what He does for me. We share our heart. He truly lifts our burdens, and it allows a gratefulness to well up within us. We talk here on earth and about talking to other people. We call it venting, right? I just need a vent. And we can talk. We can type it into a computer or a, a page or something like that. But what we're saying is this, don't miss it. When someone says, oh, I just needed to vent, I, I just needed to, what it means is this, we need a release, we need to get something off of our chest, literally, we need to share our heart. Can I tell you, for a Christian, you can vent all you want, do it in prayer. You want to share your heart? Do it in prayer. You want to get something off your chest? Amen. Pray. Pray. Do it with the one who can do the most about it. Pray. It's amazing, isn't it? We'll be so quick to vent to other people about things. Just things in our life, circumstances that are tough. And we'll, man, we'll whine and complain and we'll vent to them. Have you prayed about it? Well, and we haven't. Or we maybe spent a moment in prayer and then we spent 30 minutes venting to someone else. Wouldn't that be much better if we spent 30 minutes talking with God and one minute venting to someone else? Wouldn't it be good to flip that? Because I'll tell you, you may have good friends, but they aren't nearly as good as God is. And capable. So here it is. And you think of it. (laughs) Venting, especially to another human being, only gives a little relief, if any. But praying and casting our burdens upon the Lord provides divine, lasting relief. How does God describe it? Perfect peace. Now think of this. Think of this. You and I get to walk away with peace and rest. I love the picture here. We would say this, this is the greatest exchange program I've ever seen. You get to give God your worry, your concern, your burdens, and you and I get to walk away with peace and rest. I, mean, I think about that. That's tremendous. That is, I mean, wait a second. Wait. God, do you realize you're getting the short end of the stick? Do you realize that? And what happens with other human beings? Get this: sometimes we go to vent to them, and what happens? We get done venting. What do they want to do? Vent right back. What if in prayer God said, "Well, I understand that's tough. I'm going to bear your burdens, but here, let me share some of my burdens with you." Here's some of my concerns, my worries. Do you think you and I could handle God's worries? Hmm. If He has them, don't think He does. But His burdens. And oh my friend, you and I get to come to God and it's the greatest exchange program we have ever seen. We take our burdens, we take our worry, we take our concerns, we leave it with God and God says, wait a second, before you go, let me give you something. Here's some peace. Hey, here's rest. You you take these. And we sure do serve a great God. We sure do have a lot to be thankful for. If you don't have a habit of looking at life through thankful eyes, you know where to start? You start praying. Come to God. Get involved in God's exchange program. Prayer has a way of restoring your thankfulness when you share your burdens and worry with Him. Now listen carefully, quickly, listen. The attitude and heart of thankfulness is a habit created by the proper attitude in engaging in the prayer exchange program of God that we just described. But notice, thankfulness is a cultivated habit as opposed to a grace that is given to some and not to others. In other words, thankfulness... Is cultivated. I have to grow it. I have to work at it. It is not okay. I'm going to give. I'm going to give Nancy grace. I'm going to give Erica grace, and boy, I'm not going to give it to Pastor Henry. The grace of thankfulness. So, oh, Pastor Henry's just not a grateful person. Okay, I, that, that's not my gift. That's not my grace. Hey, friend, it is not a grace to be given to some and not others. It is a work that is to be cultivated. That you and I have to practice. You and I have to make it into a habit. We have to work at it. We would say this. It's a continual working at maintaining a profound sense in recognition of God's loving kindness. Even in the face of the daily crosses that you and I must bear and the trials that can and do come in our lives. So it's a working. It's a, hey, no, nope, I'm not going to f- worry about that circumstance. I'm not going to get caught up in that. I'm going to be reminding myself that I am, I am part of the redeemed, and I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. And so I am going to work at it, giving thanks. I'll tell you, you and I have many habits. We have actions or experiences that we have cultivated over many years. I'll tell you, one of the biggest things I think people have to cultivate is a like for coffee. Ugh. I like the smell, but I'm like, oh. And everybody says, well, if you just drink it for a certain time, you'll like it. I'm like, no way. It ain't going to happen. Someone said that to me about diet cola, too. And can I tell you, I'm starting to like diet. Dr. Anyway, uh, it's cultivated, right? We've cultivated things in our life. We've, we've, we've kind of trained ourselves. Can I tell you, the habit of thankfulness is something you need to train in yourself. Well, that's just not, I haven't been given that grace. Hogwash, that's Greek, by the way hogwash thankfulness is not something that God goes up and down the aisle you get it, you get it you don't, you don't no, it is to be cultivated in every one of our hearts and it's something that we work at hence we are commanded to do these things we are to rejoice like the redeemed we are to not worry like the wicked we are to supplicate like a saint and you know what each of those take it takes active repetition. Every day, time after time, you and I need to come. Okay, God, uh, you know what? I'm tempted to worry over here. I'm not going to worry like the wicked. I'm going to be reminded that I don't have anything to worry about. You said it, God. I'm going to rejoice in who I am. I'm redeemed. I'm part of the righteous found in God. And here's the truth, and I wish I had more time, but I don't. But let me share just three things that are a widespread benefit for each of us. And at first, we may not understand this comes from thankfulness. Notice it real quick. Notice it number one, you know, thankfulness makes our blessings doubly blessed. Thankfulness makes our blessings, the blessings we already have that we've mentioned some of, doubly blessed. One has rightly said it this way: There are two ways to get rich. Come on, Pastor Sherrod. I'm not speaking about winning the lottery or stealing it, okay? That's not what he's saying. This is what he says. We say there's two ways to get rich. What are they? Well, the two ways are this you either increase the number of dollars in your possession, or you increase the value of the dollars already in your possession. It's true. We have a, a, a common consumerist term, inflation, or deflation, depending on how you want to view it. So you say, Pastor Henry, how does that play into this? Well, think about it. Think about this. When you and I are thankful, it raises the blessing and possessions we already have to higher degrees of worth, thereby enriching ourselves. So as I'm thankful and I look at what, man, I look, and I hope this week you and I spent time reflecting on the blessings that we have. You know what it literally does? It makes them more valuable in our sight. When I'm grateful, I think, man, I sure am thankful for my family. I'm sure thankful for the house and the roof He's put over our heads and and, and the job He's given us and the church that He's blessed us with and these good Christian friends here and and all of these things. The more we are thankful for it, you know what it does? It enriches us. It makes those blessings of greater value. What? Just by being thankful? Yeah. You practice the habit of thankfulness and It will make what you already have more valuable and greater, of greater worth in your eyes. It is literally the best and easiest way to get rich. Be thankful for what you already have, thereby raising its value in your eyes. You know what we like to say? We like to say this, the grass is always greener on the other side. What are we saying? Well, that's when people start to become discontent with what they have. It's not that big of a, yeah, I have this, but I need the newest, the greatest. Man, you already have the iPhone 8. Why do you need the iPhone 23? Ah, oh, but look, it can do this and this and this and this and that and that and this. And, and I won't even have to hardly do anything in my life because the phone will do it. The grass is always greener. I mean, that's the mentality. You know what I like to say is, yeah, you think the grass is greener. Then you get over there and you find it's artificial turf. It's fake grass and It's painted. It's nothing you thought it was. You know, the best thing you can do is to stand back, look at your own grass, and say, you know what? I sure am thankful I have grass. Man, I sure am thankful that, that it is what it is. I have grass. It can grow. And we're just using this analogy here. But the reality is this. I need to step back and say, wait a second. I sure am thankful for what I have. Because you know what it makes? This that much more valuable. Thankfulness makes your blessings doubly blessed. You know, the best way to not get caught in that kind of thinking is to take a renewed look at your own grass. (laughs) Be thankful you have any. Be thankful it is what it is. Be thankful that it is perfect for you. Why? Because it came from the hands of a perfect God. Who has a perfect will. Who perfectly loves you. You start thinking like that and thankfulness will make you doubly blessed. Hey, I like this too. Quickly, number two. Thankfulness is a restful habit. We already saw this in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, coming to me you know, labor and heavy laden, and I will what? Give you rest. Give you rest. I want you to see this morning that a thankful spirit is a restful spirit. When you cultivate an attitude of thankfulness in your own life, you're truly cultivating a restful spirit. Such a spirit, a thankful spirit does not fret. It does not fume. It does not consider things to be unfair. Does not render one 'self to be left out to have missed out on something. What does this kind of thankful attitude in the spirit does? It literally reposes in other words, it rests it sits, sits back in its content. Look at verse seventeen or verse seven, excuse me. the Bible says this. After all of this, after praying, after be careful for nothing, after rejoicing, verse 7 and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The fact of the matter is this if you and I are already, if we're thankful, we're already at rest. God affords us a perfect peace, a peace that passes earthly understanding. You and I can relax and enjoy the joy of the Lord, being thankful for all we enjoy from his bountiful hand. Last but not least, note it. Number three, thankfulness cures covetousness. (laughs) Boy, this sure is appropriate outcome of the habit of thankfulness as we look forward to Christmas, isn't it? Thankfulness cures covetousness. How? Notice it. It kind of goes with that first one. It magnifies the little things we possess so much that we fail to wish for the great things of others. So as I am thankful, the thing that I have, and, and, and I possess, though the world may say it's little, no, nah, it's great to me. Because I'm thankful for it. We'd put it this way. Certainly the world and others may say that you and I have very little. We don't have enough. We need more. Oh, but if we're thankful... Our heart and our attitude tells us that we have more than we could ever want or use. That we are blessed beyond most. That's thankfulness. It is a rare place. Listen. It is a rare place when one finds that thankfulness has drowned out any desire for more, for something else, or for what others had. A preacher of old used to say that he liked to look in the windows of the stores at Christmas time to see how many things he could go without. Have you ever looked on Amazon to see how many things you could go without? It's a rare place, isn't it? Because, boy, we want that. Oh, man, I got, I, how did I ever live without that? Do you realize once you're thankful, you walk around, i sure I'm thankful for that. You walk around your garage, man, i sure I'm thankful for that. I'm sure that you look all around your life, I'm thankful for that, I'm thankful for that. Man, i sure I'm thankful. It has a way of curing covetousness. It has a way of reminding us of what's important. If you are there where that old preacher is, you have joined him going a long way towards true wealth. As we conclude this message and this Thanksgiving break, as we embark on the Christmas season, one that sadly is sometimes full of covetousness and an unthankful heart, could I encourage you and myself with this simple truth? Would we daily cultivate the habit of thankfulness? How do we do that? Number one, rejoice like the redeemed. Rejoice like the righteous. Rejoice. Find joy, not in circumstances, not in all of your possessions. We're thankful for them, but that's not where joy is found. It's found where? In the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Number two, don't uh, exterminate the worry of the wicked from our lips, from our hearts. Don't worry. Don't get caught up in worrying about life and the things that should never be a burden for a Christian. God never intended it. He intended you and I to take God up on his exchange program. Bring him your worry, your burdens. Walk away with rest and peace. And then pray often, (laughs) availing ourselves just of that program, what God says he will do for us. Hey, Christian, are you thankful? We ought to be. We ought to have a habit of being thankful day in and day out. What's missing? Some of us this morning, as we go in this invitation time, you... And the Lord, know that you need to confess worry. You worry about everything. It, it consumes you. It affects your health. And worry is there. Others of us, we need to confess that. We, I don't remind myself often enough of being saved, that I'm a child of the King, of I have heaven ahead of me. Then some of us, you know what we need to confess is we just don't pray like we ought to. We don't take our burdens and our concerns and our worries and exchange them for the rest and the peace that he has promised. And we're not experiencing those three blessings that come from a thankful heart. Where are you at, Christian? What business, what work do we have to do today? Father, I thank you for your word. I am grateful for it. We pray now that you bless in this invitation. Work in our hearts as only you can. May we do business with you. Father, may we get back to having a habit of thankfulness even this morning, in the weeks, and the days, months to come. Father, may you find us to be habitually thankful. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'll ask you to join me in standing all across the auditorium. The message has been taught, preached. The word is spoken. Let's you and I do business with him. Hey, let's be honest with him today, friend. Maybe there is a confession of worry that, hey, I need, Father, I've been worrying. I've been worrying. Maybe there is, Father, I I, I have not reminded myself of being your child enough. I have not rejoiced in the Lord like I ought to. Or maybe, friend, you have left off praying about your burdens, your worries. You'll share it as a prayer request with others, but you yourself. Seldom work, seldom pray. Maybe you'll vent to someone else about how bad it is, but you don't pray. You don't talk to God like you ought to the degree and the length. With heads bowed and eyes closed, some doing business with God at their seat and here at the altar. How about you, friend? Where you at? We've enjoyed a good week of Thanksgiving, haven't we? Now we want to enjoy a good year of Thanksgiving. Giving thanks to God. Cultivating a habit that helps us be what we ought to be. And look up this way you know as much as we have said that that thankfulness a thankful heart is cultivated in other words a continual working something i have to work at it's not a grace bestowed on some and not others this morning our sunday school maybe some of the other adult sunday school classes were close to that same place we were looking at the passage that said the spirit is willing but the flesh is what you know what thankfulness doesn't come naturally to us Someone says, well, I'm just naturally thankful. No, what they have done is they've cultivated a spirit of thankfulness. It doesn't come naturally. This old flesh doesn't want to be thankful. It wants to, gimme, gimme, gimme. I want, I want, I want. So this spirit of thankfulness, this attitude, it has to be cultivated. In a Christian, we have to say, wait a minute, this this flesh, (laughs) it's weak. It doesn't want to be thankful. It wants more. But the spirit, I'll say, no, 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 no. I sure do have a lot to be thankful for. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. I'm not going to worry like the wicked. And I'm going to pray and exchange my burdens for rest and peace. Boy, our God is good, isn't he? thankful for him let's grab our hymn book we'll sing together hymn number 299 visitors will be in the back my wife and i would love to meet and greet you come back tonight six o'clock teen night and then also brother aaron's going to be preaching tonight so we're looking forward to that last time he preached i think he was you know under the gun you know being evaluated and everything so we're looking forward to him to preaching tonight and having a little bit more liberty in that sense and but come back teens are ministering we're excited about that that's going to be a fantastic let's sing together hymn number 299